0: Welcome back to the horrors. Hi, I'm Elise. I'm Shay, and here we are with our September encore. <laughs> is, you thought we were finished. We are officially in October. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned for saugus saugus 2024, baby.
1: <laughs> Mark your calendars now. So we saw Saw X in theaters last night. It was so good. Elise turned to me, and was like, "I think I love Saw." <laughs> the biggest plot twist of this whole podcast. No, the biggest plot twist of this whole podcast was that there was a human baby in our screening last night.
0: Oh my gosh. I will never forget 15 minutes into the movie, all of a sudden we just hear a (laughs) coo behind us and Shay leans to me and says, is there a baby here? (laughs) And sure enough, there was a beautiful little baby in the theater the whole time. And like a three-year-old. Yes. Small children. If you're wondering how I came to be as a human being... (laughs)
1: Surprisingly, it wasn't that. <laughs> and listen, I think there's plenty of style to go around. But on a Friday night showing, it was also 9pm.
0: But I mean, the kids were really well behaved. Yeah, all things so, considering. I mean, I guess the movie was pretty captivating. It really sucked their eyes to the screen. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and especially a movie that punishes misbehaving. Oh, yes. Oh, boy.
1: I've been loving the TikToks that are going around where it's like me taking two pieces of candy from the doctor's candy bowl when it says take one at age eight and like the Saw music just coming up. Like this has been like my favorite trend of like little inside jokes, but now Saw is on the mainstream and I've just been loving how creative everyone's been
0: getting with it. I also love that. And again, as always, I always feel extra special (laughs) when I can be a part of the fun jokes going around in the popular culture mainstream.
1: So true to tradition, when we see something in theaters, we don't have notes. It's not necessarily going to be as beat by beat. There's obviously some details that we may have missed, but we do have some pre-plot stuff to start us out. So going into our ladies, this could be considered a spoiler, but she's in the trailer, so I don't think it is. (laughs) We have The Return of Amanda. We have Shawnee Smith. She's known for other Saw franchise films, The Blob, Carnival of Souls, Scream Queens host, and lots of miniseries. We have Cecilia, who is played by Sanobi Lund. She is a Norwegian actress, model, film critic, and journalist known for the 2020 Netflix series Ragnarok the TV series Riviera, and films such as Headhunters and The Girl in the Spiderweb, which is directed by Fede Alvarez, who directed Evil Dead 2013. Oh, wow. And we loved that. Mm-hmm. We have Valentina, who is played by Paulette Hernandez. She is a Mexican actress known for films Perdita, Pura Sangre, and many, many telenovelas. And we have Gabriela, who is played by Renata Vaca. Going into some pre-plot trivia. This is directed by Kevin Grudert, who directed Saw's six 3D, which is the seventh, and served as the editor for the first five films in the franchise, as well as Jigsaw, which is the eighth in the franchise. Wow. He's been involved. I was about to say, I, I think it shows like how involved he's been. He has like so much insight into like what could have been and all yeah. the possibilities. I really liked that. He also directed horror films Jezebel, Visions, and Jackals, and also edited The Strangers 2008, The Collection 2012, UMA 2022, and Cobweb 2023, which I've been hearing good things about, and was a creative consultant on Barbarian. Wow. So Kevin's been doing some work. (laughs) Yeah, I'll say. So in terms of the development, Josh Stolberg and Peter Goldfinger, writers for the previous two entries of the series, Jigsaw 2017 and Spiral 2021, confirmed that the script was completed by December 2021. Producers Mark Berg and Oren Coles had planned the story of Saw X since 2018, but plans for the film were put on hold when Michael Burns, vice president of Lionsgate, met with Chris Rock in Brazil and approved his pitch for Spiral. And Spiral is the ninth film in the series, but also has nothing to do with the first eight movies. Wait, Chris Rock? Yes. (laughs) Wow. Yes. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) I don't love it. But Chris Rock was in a Saw movie, sure. That film's box office underperformance led Berg and Coles to go back to the franchise's roots for its 10th installment and make the story that they had planned for Director Kevin Grudert said that Tobin Bell is featured in this film more than any other in the series, and this film has the best reviews and ratings in the series, with a rating of 82% on Rotten Tomatoes. The next highest is the original, Saw 2004, with a rating of 50%.
0: Before we saw this movie, I was getting TikToks with people commenting on their ranking of all the Saw movies. And for so many people I saw, this movie was coming in at number two behind the original. Yeah, That's huge. I have it in my head that the sequel is never better than the original or anywhere near. For some reason, it seems like that's a trend that happens. But here, I mean, people are loving this movie and it's number 10, which is just wow. We mentioned
1: this before, but you may be confused as to how Jigsaw and Amanda are in the 10th installment of this franchise when they very famously died at the end of yeah. Saw 3. <laughs> So Saw X actually takes place in between Saw, the original, and Saw 2. So even though Jigsaw and Amanda have been canonically dead in the franchise for a while, this serves as like a middling prequel, giving some more context as to what drove Jigsaw or John Kramer as a character to make the decisions that he's made. Even as we were watching this movie, we were leaning over to each other being like, oh my god, that's from Saw 3. You're like, oh my god, that explains this so well. And you could tell just like how informed it was. And granted, like, does the age of Shawnee Smith and Tobin Bell kind of take you out of it a little bit? A little bit. Like, it's a little distracting, especially because Tobin Bell is an aging man and does not look like he did in 2004. But
0: I think it's still believable as a prequel, and we enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, a ton. So let's get into it. So we are using Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia, for this plot summary. Because, like Shay said, when we cover these movies in the theaters, we can't take notes. And we begin with John Kramer. He is in the hospital undergoing CAT scan. He comes out on the other side and he is told by a doctor that his brain cancer is so advanced that he only has months left to live. Later, after getting this news, he's still in the hospital. He goes to, I think, get a drink, by a water fountain, and he can see through the blinds of a hospital room that there is a custodian in the room with a sleeping man who has his hand in some kind of device. It seems like he had broken his hand. It's in a device to help it heal properly. He has his leg in a suspended position. He looks like he's in really rough shape, and he's totally asleep. And we see this custodian, not realizing he's being watched, open up the drawer of the nightstand next to this patient and eye up a nice-looking watch and I think a ring as well. We cut to this custodian waking up in a saw trap. And the way this saw trap is designed... It's the
1: cover art for the movie. So if you've seen the cover art for the movie, you've seen this trap. There are two long tubes that are connected to this man's eye sockets. So as he wakes up, his eyes have pressure on them from two vacuum hoses, essentially on top of his eyes. He can't see a thing. And then one of his hands are placed in the position of the sleeping man that he stole from, where each of his fingers are kind of placed in a cradle, and he can't move his hand, and then his other hand is placed on a dial. And then we get an infamous voiceover from John (laughs) Kramer saying that this man has sticky fingers, Mm -hmm. and if he would like to see another day, he has to sacrifice something else. The clock starts ticking down and this man has to push this dial with his left hand and every time that he goes up a level, it bends one of his fingers all the way back, breaking each finger on his hand methodically. But as this is happening, there is an increasing amount of pressure from this vacuum sucking this man's eyes out. Of course, we get this montage of him breaking three to four fingers, but he runs out of time and this man's eyeballs are sucked out of his head into a little box. <laughs> a tiny little box, a gift box. <laughs> but then we wake up. John was fantasizing about this trap. But as he was making these plans in his head, the custodian noticed John watching and replaced everything. Oh, I didn't see him replace everything. No, he did. He saw that he was being watched and then he hurries out of the room and John Kramer is like, good choice. Which I guess is backing up John Kramer's ideologies. You could have done the wrong thing, but you chose not to, thus you were not punished.
0: I also really like this scene because it gives us a little bit of an insight into how John Kramer chooses his traps. And we have talked about this before. He makes them sort of specially tailored to the person in the trap. I also liked the take on the punishment for the quote unquote thief. It reminds me again of those conversations we've had about John Kramer's callback to medieval punishments Mm -hmm. and how like that super antiquated medieval punishment that a thief would get his hand cut off. And in this case, the thief gets all of his fingers broken. A cool scene, and also really shocking that this is the cover art and it's an imagination. The cover art shows you no indications into what the majority of this movie is really going to be covering. It's like, oh man, shit. I thought this was going to be the worst saw trap and it's already over. Like, I am totally fucked. (laughs) And I read some piece of trivia, too, that
1: this is one of a couple movies in the franchise that don't open with a trap, because it would have been a good cold open as well. But the fact that it did open up on John Kramer going through these tests and really just looking for answers and trying to cure his illness, this is the most characterization we've ever gotten from John Kramer, where we're rooting for him a lot of the time. The first half of this movie is so emotional because you just want John Kramer to be okay. Like, I kept calling him Pop Pop Kramer because literally, (laughs) like, you feel so bad for him. And then when, like, the shoe drops and you kind of understand what he was put through and what happened and what led him to this point, you're like, fuck yeah, kill these fuckers. The movie does such a good job by not opening with a trap, showing that this movie is about Tobin Bell and this movie is about John Kramer, and really giving him the fleshed out backstory that we get pieces of throughout Saw's 1 through 3D, but this is definitely the most character building we've seen up until this point.
0: So continuing on with our John Kramer theme, we later see him attend a cancer support meeting where he meets several individuals who are there talking about their cancer diagnosis, how it's been impacting their lives. And John meets a character named Henry Kessler, who is also talking about his terminal cancer diagnosis. And I think he—it's not thyroid cancer. I think it's pancreatic. Pancreatic. That's correct. Later on, we see John sitting, I think, like at a cafe outside. And he runs into Henry seemingly weeks or a month or so later. And Henry looks great. Lively, healthy. I think he was on a jog even. Very physically active. A complete turnaround from where we last saw this character. They have a conversation and Henry is so kind. John Kramer asks him if he has a minute to sit down and talk about how he has gotten better. What did he do? What was his journey like? And Henry gives John this time. They have a nice conversation where Henry says that he was actually cured by an experimental process. There is a Norwegian cancer treatment conducted by some group led by this renowned doctor, Dr. Peterson. And he gives John the email that he can contact to get in touch with this group. John is obviously interested. He goes home, sends an email, lets them know he was referred by Henry, and right away gets a call from a woman, Cecilia Peterson, who says, we are happy to work with you. We can get you in three months. But of course, John's silence on the other end lets her know he doesn't have three months. So she says, can you be here by like what, Thursday? Like a couple days from where they're at. And John's like, yeah. But they're currently in hiding in a location in Mexico because their treatment is experimental. It is not CDC approved. They have to go through all these underground channels to provide this support. So John has to go to Mexico in order to have this procedure done.
1: And this especially underscores some themes that we see later in the Saw franchise of movies we haven't covered yet. But it really is a take on the American healthcare system. Um, yeah. <laughs> and even now, you know, we see on TikTok, we see other places like people will fly to other countries to get procedures done that would be so much more expensive if they were done in the States you know, this whole, I want to say borderline conspiratorial, but borderline truthful fact that there are doctors in other places that have made further advancements in certain elements of medicine, that this idea could be believable, where, you know, when you're in this level of desperation, like John Kramer is like, you'll try anything because he's dying anyway. So he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna spend my last penny Mm -hmm. on the chance and this man that he trusts, like he has the scar to prove it. So he arrives in Mexico and is driven by a driver named Diego, who is driving him to this remote location when the beginnings of a carjacking start taking place. A large van drives up. There's a bunch of men with guns. They threaten John Kramer and are like, what's your name? No, tell me your actual name. And as he maintains that he is who he says he is, they drop their guard and they're like, welcome to Mexico, John Kramer. And we're like, what the fuck? But again, it's outlining this idea that these people are being persecuted. Executed, mm-hmm. And it's under this guise of, you know, they want our treatment, they don't want us to be helping people. But also we're reading between the lines of why else would they be getting in trouble for providing care, quote unquote, to people. So he's taken to this resort where he meets Gabriella, who is like a housemaker there to tend to the patients as they're receiving treatment. He forms this connection with Gabriela where Gabriela is showing him photos of her family. And he also meets Carlos, who's a young boy that is the son of a groundskeeper that works on the grounds. And ultimately meets Cecilia Peterson, who is the doctor that he's been speaking to, who walks him around the facility. And Cecilia introduces John to the rest of her team, Doctors Mateo and Valentina, as they're treating another patient, Parker Sears, who just underwent surgery for thyroid cancer. And seeing that somebody else is being treated and that he feels so healthy, so much better, this puts John at ease as he begins to prepare for his own surgery.
0: His surgery is scheduled for the next day. He wakes up early. He heads outside and he sees Carlos trying to fix his bike wheel. It looks like it's dented. It's not rolling properly. And he's trying to pull at the metal to get it straight again. So John Kramer approaches him, says hello, introduces himself, and is able to kind of put together some sort of like makeshift wedge so that he can more adequately pull the bike wheel back in place. And they have this moment together where, you know, Carlos doesn't speak English. Kramer doesn't speak Spanish. So they kind of motion to each other and learn the word in Spanish for pull. And he is able to tell Carlos to pull on the wheel in his language. And then they have this bond because then Carlos is riding around on his bike, just like any 12 year old wants to do. And it's a really sweet moment. Again, these moments with John Kramer that just make your heart want to explode.
1: He's a pop He is a pop And you can tell he's trying to like pronounce it. He's like, hala, hala. Like, like yeah, that's a yeah, yeah. word. Like mm-hmm. it's just, so it's so nice to see. We learn that this treatment is a drug cocktail paired with a surgery. So in John Kramer's case, he needs to undergo a brain surgery. So we see him being prepped. We see that there is another doctor there, Dr. Cortez, alongside Valentina, Mateo, and Cecilia. As he's in this daze, he's watching this surgical monitor. And you could tell he's watching it suspiciously, like he is unsure if what's being done is what needs to be done. But eventually he succumbs to his anesthetic and passes out and wakes up a day or two later in recovery where Cecilia is like, hey, everything looks good, presents him with his paperwork that shows that his levels are where he's supposed to be. And John reassures that the second half of his payment is on its way. So everything seems to be well, and John wants to stop by the house one last time to thank the team and Gabriella for her hospitality, buys a bottle of tequila as a thank you gift, but upon returning to the clinic, nobody's there.
0: It looks like it's been abandoned. There's stuff on the floor. It it honestly looks not only abandoned, but it's been left in a hurry. He makes his way down to the area where he had his surgery and sees again, the table is turned over, there's trash everywhere. And when he lifts up one of the monitors, he sees that there is a videotape in the VHS that when he hits play, it's the same image that he saw during his surgery, which is showing him that he wasn't watching his surgery happen in real time. He was watching this like how to do a craniotomy video. (laughs) And that makes him reach up, take the bandages off his head, And we can see that there is no incision to be found. He has all of his skin and hair intact. And he realizes that the whole thing was
1: a scam. And we also get this flashback where he is recognizing that Dr. Cortez, who was performing the craniotomy, was actually Diego, the taxi driver in disguise. So this is a multi-person operation. Cecilia has invited in all of these locals to be part of this scam. And there's a lot to be said, too, about how Cecilia is this rich Norwegian woman providing opportunities to what we come to find out are low income Mexican locals. So obviously, there's like a lot to be said about that. We get context later on that Valentina is a sex worker and Gabriella is struggling with addiction and Mateo works at a vet as a custodian. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like, there's a lot going on that's showing that, okay, obviously you present an opportunity that helps somebody fix their financial situation. Like, what are the ethics of that? Mm. And then these folks end up being punished. There's a lot to be said about that. However... John is taking no prisoners.
0: Well, he does. but (laughs) Well, only for a little bit. Only for
1: a little bit. Until he tests them. (laughs) So John ends up getting in the back of Diego's taxi and kidnaps him. And when Diego wakes up... He is in a trap with two explosives pinned into his arms. So essentially, it's like if you were to take very large safety pins and pierce the top of your forearms, and that is how these explosives are sutured into his skin, and Diego's hands are duct taped to two scalpels. It kind of looks like it's like an Edward Forty hands type of situation, <laughs> yeah, wait, yeah oh my but God. just a little more deadly. <laughs> so like he has no access to his hands, but his hands are gripped on these very sharp medical instruments. And as he saws through this rope that's holding him to this stood up gurney, there is a countdown and Jigsaw is giving him instructions on the other side of this glass.
0: This whole time, I was like, yes, of course, he's going to use these blades to cut through the one arm. But all I could think about was, what's he going to do when he gets to his non-dominant hand? How is he going to (laughs) use his non-dominant hand to cut out this bomb from his arm? But he does. And he manages to throw both bombs underneath some kind of heavy object so that when the explosion does go off, he is protected. And he fucking lives. Yeah, he survives. I mean, his
1: arms, obviously he just had to chop the entire top parts of his arms off. I thought he was going to have to saw through his arm with a scalpel. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. But no, he had to cut into the muscle to get the sutures out.
0: I think I remember him saying something about, however these were attached to his arms, they were attached to his bone. So he had to use the scalpels to cut through, like, the wire that was connecting whatever to his bone to the bomb. So I think that's what the scalpel was cutting through, the wire and the skin, which well,
1: and there's a point where he has the bomb between his teeth and there's three seconds left. And I'm yeah. like, Oh, we were waiting for this guy's head to explode, but he does live and Jigsaw approaches him and says he's going to help him. But then we get a montage of somebody in a pig mask costume kidnapping Cecilia, Matteo, Valentina, and Gabriella. And each kind of have their own little way that they go about it. I'm pretty sure Matteo is tased. Yeah, I think so. At the veterinary clinic. And in this scene, we actually get some important context that Gabriella buys drugs from Matteo. Mm, and this mm-hmm. gives us context that Gabriella is struggling with some sort of pill addiction. We see her getting captured in the bathroom of a club. We see Cecilia hunted down in her house.
0: Yeah, that, that was, it was fun. fucking cool. You want to talk about that scene? So Cecilia is in this big, gorgeous house with all glass walls, like this architectural marvel. She's doing whatever she's doing in her like art studio living room and drinking wine. And all of a sudden she hears a bump in the night. So she goes and looks around ends up going into her TV monitor security room, turns on all the monitors, looks around, doesn't see anything. But the whole time the camera is cutting between her perspective and the perspective of the whole house. And there are points where we can see like somebody on the roof, But then eventually once she gets into that security room, she notices something finally on one of the monitors and whoever the person is is standing in the room above where she is and lifts up a heavy object and smashes it down. So we see it happen in the monitor through Cecilia's perspective, but then also around Cecilia as whatever this object is crashes through. She's tackled on the ground and sedated. Through this scene, we also get context that she has another patient on the phone. She's getting
1: more people on the line. And Mm -hmm. there is just a duffel bag full of cash with Mateo's name on it, Gabriella's name on it, Valentina's name on it. There's no misunderstanding here. Like this woman is a scam artist.
0: And I know I've only seen, well, now four of the 10 Saw movies, but I've only seen three leading up to this one. But I was really captivated by the fact that Cecilia is such a fucking villain. Like she's evil. Like the scene where we see the cash, we see her manipulating another woman over the phone. Like we see all of this coming together. She is maniacal and tricky and smart. Are there other like co-villains throughout these Saw franchise movies? Or is Cecilia like one of the only characters we see that is presenting this like pure villain presence? I mean, there's certainly like
1: villainous characters, but none that are against Kramer. She's like a
0: mastermind. It's kind of like when we were watching Orphan First Kill and we saw Esther going up against whoever Julia Stiles' character was, uh, Trisha. Yeah. And being like, wait, why am I rooting for Esther? Exactly. It's the same thing. And I think obviously the sympathetic moments we have with John in the beginning certainly help us feel very much like we're on his side and Amanda's side. And also because she's smart, and so is John Kramer and Amanda. So I think seeing intelligent person go up against intelligent person adds such a level of intensity to this film, and I love it.
1: We see Valentina, who I think is the last to be kidnapped, and we see a figure in a pig mask dragging her in and placing her in a trap. The mask is lifted up, and it is Amanda. And we see Amanda has been the muscle behind all of the operations. And this is where we're going to point out the forced perspective that must have happened because let us remind you, Shawnee Smith is 5'3". And Elise (laughs) leans over to me when we're looking at Dr. Peterson, Cecilia, and she's like, this woman has to be so fucking tall. (laughs) Yeah, Cecilia is tall as fuck. She's six feet tall. Yeah. I I googled it in the movie Mm -hmm. theater. So like the fact that Amanda is doing all of this manhandling, womanhandling of these people in these traps is so funny to me. Meanwhile, Matteo, Gabriella, and Dr. Peterson are shackled either by their limbs, their neck, like they have like the Adam treatment, the Adam and Dr. Gordon treatment of Saw 1, yeah. where they have these chains on different parts of their body, whereas Valentina looks like she is set up to face a different kind of trap
0: first. So she is chained up to like an industrial pillar. So she's leaning on that with her back sitting down. And around her is this razor thin wire. Essentially, her trap is unless she is able to use this other razor thin wire that's positioned under one of her thighs to saw through her thigh, sever her leg completely off and insert this syringe type tool that will then extract bone marrow. This I think is the craziest trap of this.
1: It's a big ask. No, it's not.
0: It's a big ask. (laughs) It's it's, It's not just like saw off your leg, which is like already like, what the fuck? There's like three other steps. So again, saw off your leg, insert this syringe type device, let it extract your bone marrow through these tubes and fill up a scale to a certain point before I think three minutes. It's three minutes. Are you kidding me? Like even Justin Timberlake and Madonna gave four minutes to save (laughs) the world. Okay, three minutes to do all this. And if she doesn't manage to do that, this razor wire will close in on her by her neck and sever her head. So the time starts, she is sawing through her leg with this razor thin wire. And something I also kind of appreciated was all the people around her, like Matteo, Gabriella and Cecilia are like cheering her on in like, obviously not a happy way, but in like a get your shit together and do this. Because it's not like Saw 3, where there's
1: like different traps in different rooms, like all four of these folks are in the same room together, watching them go through their traps individually. So there very much is like a teamwork element. Yeah. However, Valentina runs out of time because, again, it's a big ask.
0: But she gets so far. Leg off, syringe in, bone marrow filling up the scale, but she just misses the mark when the time runs out and she dies. And it's horrifying and shocking. And of course, the three of them are looking on knowing that they're going to be encountered with some kind of fucked up trap like this.
1: Meanwhile, Jigsaw and Amanda are up in this observatory room where there's a bunch of cameras on them in all angles. And Amanda and John are strategizing, I guess. They are distracted and not watching. So this inspires Dr. Peterson to be like, we need to figure something out. And Amanda had left this cart in the middle of the room, some sort of medical push cart. But this push cart has Cecilia's phone on it. You know, they're all trying to reach to see if they could push it, but the way that the cart is positioned is it's like literally just out of reach, even if all of them use all of their slack on their chains. And they're like, well, we need to find a way to get it to one of us so we can call for help. So fucking (laughs) Cecilia!
0: Oh my, she's crazy.
1: She's nuts. This is characterizing her as like evil evil, capital E evil, because she ends up finding a piece of jagged metal that's kind of like attached to her trap, ripping it off. And we're like, okay, secret weapon, this is going to be good. But no, she walks over to Valentina, which I guess as her body had slumped over, got into Cecilia's reach somehow, disembowels her with this metal piece of shrapnel, takes out her intestines throws the intestines around like it's a fucking jump rope <laughs> to Gabriella and Matteo who are able to help lasso the intestines over the cart so that Cecilia can pull on the intestines
0: and drag the cart toward her. My favorite part about this scene was two gentlemen came into the theater right at this moment. I guess they were (laughs) late to the showing, sat down right before this intestines moment happened. And they were both just like, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, imagine walking in at that moment. Like, that would have been me walking into the living room. Like, that's my living room moment. But this allows Cecilia to get her phone and she
1: places a call for help. But Amanda is quick to the draw uses her little electrified shackle remote. And this shocks Cecilia when she's halfway through the call for her to drop her phone. Amanda stomps on it, takes the cart away, leaving them back where they started. But a call was placed. We just don't
0: know to who. A little while later, the others are still waiting to go through their traps. But somebody shows up on the security footage from outside. It's a man. He's yelling, let me in. You scam me. You scam me. Amanda goes out, brings Parker. Is it Amanda? Maybe John Kramer goes out. No, so Parker does break in. Oh, that's right. With a gun. He has a gun drawn and he's going through the building and he encounters John Kramer and Amanda. Well, he
1: actually encounters Valentina set up as a pig mask.
0: Oh my God. I feel like my brain... just doesn't let me remember traumatic moments.
1: What ends up happening is he sees a figure like standing in front of him in a pig mask and he fires like three shots right into it. But as the figure falls over, it's very much like Hunt where it's Bailey in costume, but it's Valentina's body propped up on a dummy or her head propped up on a dummy. And as Parker leans down to like examine it,
0: Amanda comes up behind him and knocks him out. Right. So then that's when he wakes up in the overseer room with John Kramer. Tied to a chair. And he explains he's there to get revenge because he realized, like John Kramer, that his surgery was totally bogus and he wants to get revenge on Cecilia. And Kramer explains like, listen, I'm happy to
1: let you get your revenge, but Cecilia needs to play a game first. (laughs) And Parker's like, what kind of game are we talking about? This is where Kramer instructs Amanda, go get Gabriella ready for her game. But we've been seeing that Gabriella and Amanda are kind of forming a little bit of a kinship because let us not forget at this point in the Saw continuity, Amanda is still struggling with addiction or has just recently become sober. So she sees a lot of herself in Gabriella and Gabriella is seeing herself in Amanda and has been like making asides at Amanda, begging her for help. Like, listen, don't do this to me. I made a mistake, like all this kind of stuff. So when Kramer instructs Amanda to begin Gabriella's game, she says the anesthesiologist goes first, which is Mateo. Yes. So there's some pushback there. Meanwhile, Kramer is assuring Parker, "Listen, I can't let you go yet. We need to wait till the game is done, but trust me that things are going to work out for you."
0: So Mateo is prepared for his trap. This is when we get our appearance from Billy, yeah. <laughs> as Shay lovingly calls him Billy the Boy. Billy the Boy. He wheels out on his little tricycle with a medical tray attached with a drill, other sharp devices, bowl, and a scale, things like that. And he comes out, parks right next to Mateo, and Mateo is introduced to his trap, where he needs to use the camera and monitor that, well, the monitor that is showing him the camera shot of the top of his head with a section shaved out of his hair. Because he's now restrained to a chair. He wasn't before. He is strapped in with also something that looks like the Venus fly trap, but it's not front and back. It's like side to side. So imagine you're kind of correcting a spinal injury and
1: you have that metal halo like strapped into your forehead. He is strapped to a chair so that he can't move his head one way or the other. And he needs to use these like remote controls to essentially direct these robots.
0: No, he has to use his own hand. Oh, it is? Yeah, he like has to reach down, grab the drill. Oh, you're right, you're right. And saw into, I mean, that would be pretty crazy if they were robots this is too advanced. You're right. This is 2005. We're not here yet. (laughs) Yeah, true. You're right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So he uses his own hands. He has to grab this drill, drill around the portion shaped out of his head, remove (laughs) the part of his skull that he drilled through and use the other tools to scoop out part of his brain matter, put it into a scale, and then hope that he gets enough out to meet the requirement of brain matter before he dies. He gets the drill, he drills around the section, removes the skull, gets brain matter out, puts it into the fucking dish, but doesn't manage to get enough out in time to meet the requirement. And he ends up having his face shut inside this head oven that then heats up and I guess suffocate slash burns him to death And we forgot to look this up, but this mask takes on the
1: appearance of a statue that Diego had pointed out to Kramer on this little taxi tour
0: that he took. It was some kind of location that he pointed out as being an old site for human sacrifices.
1: Oh, okay. Either way, there's some thematic relevance as to like why he was chosen for that because he was this tour guide and this ominous statue, this ominous sign. But yes, now Matteo is dispatched and we are just left with Cecilia Peterson and Gabriella in their trap.
0: Gabriella is next. All of a sudden the chains that are attached to her wrist and then opposite ankle start to retract leaving her suspended in the air in front of a heater. It's a radiation machine. A radiation machine. Okay. Okay. So it has the circle front that directs all the radiation in one direction, which is at her. And all of these traps have something to do with
1: John's treatment right? Mm -hmm. So if we're talking about radiation, that's obviously a cancer treatment. You had even mentioned during Mateo's trap, like the brain surgery is very similar to Saw 3. You're like, I understand why he was a lot more choosy with the doctor in Saw 3 now. But like, obviously he needs a craniotomy because he has brain cancer. I mean, I guess I don't know about Valentina. Oh, it was about bone marrow because he needed multiple bone marrow transplants because of his treatment. But
0: everything has to do with the things that he was promised. And now he's like doing unto them. So this is, I guess, the radiation portion of the treatment. Gabriella is instructed to use the mallet that is suspended next to her to break her limbs out of her shackles before she is burned to death by the radiation. She has to smash it with a hammer. <laughs> Wait. Yes, but not once, twice. So she goes for her wrist, but Cecilia says, no, do your ankle first because then you'll swing away from the ray gun, the radiation cannon. It literally looks like a cannon. So she does that. She swings away from the radiation cannon. But then the freaking machine moves over (laughs) and it is still burning directly at her. But she is able to break her wrist, fall to the ground. She has severe burns on her face. She's definitely in a place where she can survive this because she got away from the worst of it. This is when John starts saying, you know, we need to get her to a hospital. She survived her trap. We'll get her out of here and take her to get help. But then at
1: this point, I don't know if Parker had freed himself or that John had released him because it was Cecilia's turn to be tested. John seemingly had trusted Parker as like a co-victim. But we had seen Kramer place Parker's gun into a locker and Parker had discreetly retrieved the gun and is now holding John at gunpoint along with Amanda. And we're like, what the fuck? So we see Parker force John and Amanda down from the observatory into the trap room. There's a big smile on Peterson's face when she sees Parker. So we're like, huh? The fuck is going on? And Parker approaches Cecilia and gives her a big old smooch. And these two were in cahoots. Parker was part of the scam as well.
0: He goes, I'd die for you, baby. (laughs) I
1: was like, what the fuck is going on? Parker's role was to appear like a patient whose treatment worked, and that had given John a sense of ease, and when Cecilia had called for help, she had called Parker for help, and Parker had staged this whole thing to make it look like he wanted revenge on Cecilia when really he came to save Cecilia.
0: They must have had a plan worked out in case something like this happened. Because I think the only thing she managed to say on the phone was, I'm held hostage at whatever the location was. So he came already knowing, okay, I know what this probably is. I need to use my pretend victim card to get in with the aggressors enough so that I can save Cecilia, et cetera, et cetera.
1: And then this part confused me. I don't know if you had any more clarity. They force Amanda to free Cecilia. Amanda is then shackled into Matteo's old ankle chain, and John is then trapped into Cecilia's old neck chain. So he has a shackle around his neck, Amanda around her ankle. Peterson is freed. John is just saying like, listen, we need to get Gabriella to a hospital. Cecilia goes over and fucking stomps on Gabriella, killing her. She breaks her neck. She breaks her neck, which is, again, showing the evil. But then Cecilia kind of alludes that she knew who John Kramer was all along.
0: Yeah, she says something. She must be informed enough about maybe a string of crimes that had been going on in the United States. And after watching all of these saw traps unfurl, she's like, I figured out being here that your jig fucking saw. These types of murders have been going on long enough that maybe they have become national, international news enough that Cecilia would have heard about it through whatever the fuck news platform and put together the pieces who he was based on what she was seeing in the warehouse.
1: But as they're chatting, they're hearing a rhythmic thumping coming from outside. And this is Carlos kicking a soccer ball against the wall, which we've seen him do throughout the movie at different points.
0: Yeah, it's like 6am. And this is what Carlos is doing. This is his little morning routine.
1: (laughs) However, Cecilia is like, oh, you like these traps so much. Let's just see what happens when we put somebody in it who, I don't know, she essentially knows that Carlos and John had formed a little bit of a friendship. So she goes outside and brings Carlos in under the guise of, I have some friends I want you to meet. She instead straps Carlos into a similar neck chain to John's that was positioned on the other side. And it's like, let's just see how much you like playing games now. And this is the first time we've seen a kid in a trap. I mean, besides like Corbett in the second or in the third one, where she's like used as collateral, but she's just kind of like locked in a room. But like an actual fucking child in a saw trap?
0: Oh my god. And there were children in the theater. <laughs> there were Don't children. forget the babies. <laughs> Cecilia doesn't know what this trap is. She knows Carlos and Kramer are now locked in. She presses start. The chains around their neck, like the slack of the chains, start to slowly retract and lower them down onto this seesaw type trap. There's like hoses above them and two levers, one by Carlos's hand and one by Kramer's hand. And before the trap fully begins, Kramer is able to tell Carlos not to pull because they had had that previous conversation and he is able to communicate, do not pull. So the trap begins and blood starts spilling out from the hoses above both of their heads, waterboarding them. And Kramer pulls his lever so that Carlos is raised up on the seesaw. He is lowered. The blood continues to waterboard him in the face, but Carlos's hose stops. But then, even though Carlos was told not to pull, he knows his buddy, his friend, John Kramer, is in trouble. So he pulls on his lever, which gives Kramer some relief and puts the pressure back on Carlos. And then we have one more exchange where Kramer pulls the lever, releases Carlos, and puts the pressure back on him.
1: And at this point, Kramer is holding on to the lever, which will not let Carlos pull it back. This trap... I mean, throughout the rest of the franchise... Perhaps not the movies we've seen just yet, but we've seen traps like this in a way where by giving another person relief, it goes on to you and like that self-sacrifice. And I love traps like that because it's the whole idea of if we both just take a little, we can both survive. And this is to its best extent utilized because John knows that Carlos is innocent. Like he would never play into his playbook. Like he would never be a victim. And we just see John. And again, he is this old frail man and he is being waterboarded by blood and me who is like afraid of water and everything like that like this was really hard for me to watch because it is just so visceral like he's gurgling on blood while everybody's watching amanda is screaming because mm-hmm. that is her man she is just <laughs> like you're killing him like he's she's so upset but while this is happening parker and cecilia go upstairs to the observatory because that's where the bag of cash is but when they take the duffel bag off the shelf to like look for the cash inside of it, a tripwire is pulled and the door to the observatory
0: slams shut and a countdown begins. Also, it stops the trap below with Carlos and Kramer. So right. they're they're put back to neutral and the blood stops. And this is also when the iconic Saw theme song starts playing. I know that there's always a twist, but this twist, I just, I didn't see coming. I thought the twist was the reversal of power, but we should have fucking known that John Kramer knew some fuck shit was gonna happen all along and had some provisions in place. Because now the observatory is a trap
1: that Parker and Cecilia are in. And I was like looking at that room and I'm like, this is going to turn into something. Whether it was going to be like against them, but this room is going to turn into something somehow. And as soon as Parker arrived and John was like commiserating with him being like, listen, she did the same thing to me, I know. I'm like, no. I don't trust him Mm -hmm. and I don't trust that he trusts him. And I was fucking right because literally a 15 minute countdown goes on and fucking gas starts being blown through vents into the room, causing them both to start burning and suffocating. Meanwhile, we get the infamous montage of the flashbacks where we see that while Parker was still unconscious, John was unloading his gun, so there were never any bullets in the gun, which means that Kramer and Amanda were never in danger to begin with because they knew that the gun was empty and full of blanks. And then we also see down below that Kramer and Amanda are just popping their shackles off like they're a fucking toy handcuff situation. Like, they're just like, oh, we can get out of this now. What? And they knew all along that they'd be fine and that there was a way to release themselves. And granted, I think Carlos was a wrench in the plan. I think that they thought that those two would be in the trap and Carlos was never a part of the plan. So it was very much a heavy risk on Kramer's part being fucking waterboarded for as long as he was. Mm -hmm. But the scammers
0: start being tested. They do. And they're told that one person in the room upstairs can live. This head-sized hole in one of the walls opens up so that if you put your head through, these rubber flaps would kind of seal a little bit around your neck and help you breathe fresh air while keeping back the toxic gas in the room. We see Cecilia and Parker fight over this hole until eventually Cecilia beats the shit out of Parker. She rams his head several times into a table She also stabs him. Stabs him with that shrapnel piece of metal. Shrapnel that she has, yes. And he dies and she just puts her head back out the portal and is forced to stay there, right? So she can breathe the air and look down on the three on the warehouse floor. I understand the way that they ended it was so that it
1: could continue but I was expecting something to enclose around Cecilia's head decapitating her. Like, yeah. I was waiting for some sort of something to happen, but it never does. We just see John Kramer hand Carlos the bag of cash. Yes. And the three of them pretty much open the front doors to the resort and, like, walk out into the sunlight. And Cecilia is left there. That is how the credits start rolling. And we're like, okay, okay.
0: So we get our little our little popcorn. <laughs> Oh, we didn't even talk about the merch. No. Well, let's save it. Okay, we'll save it. So we have our little merch that we'll detail. And we get up and we're starting to walk away. And Shay is literally like, I can't believe there's not a post-credit scene. Cue post-credit scene.
1: (laughs) We were halfway down the hallway and saw the light change and we started sprinting back.
0: Yes. There were many of us. There was a pack of people who started sprinting back to the theater. (laughs) And we see we are in some flash forward into the future. And we see Henry, the man from before who told John Kramer about this experimental procedure that was so successful to him. He wakes up in the dilapidated bathroom. She's back. She's back. And he has a trap strapped to his stomach with a bunch of rotating blades. We don't hear the rules of this trap, but we know that he is either going to live or die and he is put into the situation because as we see, he never did go through the surgery. There was no real scar. It must have been some kind of prosthetic or makeup and he will now have to fight for his life with John Kramer in the room and Mark Hoffman, which is a better callback for people who've seen
1: beyond Saw (laughs) 3. Because Mark Hoffman, we are introduced to in Saw 3, as just like another cop but I mean these movies have been out for years it's not a spoiler to say that in Saw 4-5 and beyond he is also an apprentice of Jigsaw so we see Hoffman putting him into a trap and it's like you never should have fucked with John Kramer but it's also showing how big brain Cecilia is, where she took this dude to insert himself into cancer support groups, mm-hmm. make these connections, give people these hopes to give her this steady stream of people looking for this
0: secretive, quote unquote, cure. And how many branches of these ambassadors does she have? Right. How many countries? But he's punished and he's taken out.
1: And that's the end of the movie. Holy shit holy shit, indeed. And this is where Elise turns to me. He's like, I have to watch the rest of these <laughs> yes! movies. I think I love Saw. And I'm like, I
0: think you do. I mean, the non-linear timeline. I said it once. I've said it twice. I'll say it a million more times. I think the franchise is so brilliant the way that they have set up that timeline because they can, it seems like, infinitely go back, go here, go there, fill in more details. It just creates such a cool effect.
1: Some post plot trivia, like I said, the movie just came out. So we don't have a lot in terms of, you know, in depth analyses quite yet. And obviously, so much of how this movie does play out requires some knowledge of what happens beyond Saw three. So I didn't want to go too far into it. But I thought this piece of trivia was funny. This is the first film in the series not to feature a cop subplot. (laughs) (laughs) Kramer loves cops or doesn't love them. He just is always putting them in his traps. This is one thing that I'll talk about because I've talked about Saw 6 a lot to Elise specifically, but I think I've mentioned it even in this episode. Saw 6 really tackles the healthcare system and shows Kramer putting an entire insurance agency into a multi-person trap, pretty much saying like, you're scamming people and giving them false hope and not giving them coverage and not letting people seek experimental treatments, all these types of things. like You're just bleeding people of their money and not showing up and helping them when we actually need them. And you did this to me. So that is kind of the subplot of 6 is like going after Big Pharma a little bit, which I kind of love. But there is a nod to Saw X and Saw 6 where the experimental cancer treatment John seeks out in this film presumably is the same treatment for which he sought for and was denied insurance coverage in a key flashback in Saw 6 from 2009. This is further solidified by the fact that in SAW 6, John is sitting down with this insurance agent and says there's this experimental treatment in Norway and Cecilia is Norwegian mm-hmm. that he wants coverage for, but he is denied the coverage for this experimental treatment because it is not FDA approved. But again, the intentionality, and I think the fact that this director has so much in-depth knowledge, this director directed Saw Six, but also was just so involved in, like, every other aspect of this franchise, is just showing, again, how no detail is minute in this. And I just fucking love it. And I thought this was interesting, especially because this shows the beginnings of John Kramer's, like, Enterprise, essentially. Some of the previous Saw films, the original, Saw 2, Saw 3D, Jigsaw, and Spiral all end with a door being closed. This one ends with a door being opened.
0: Ooh, so symbolic. So symbolic,
1: like showing all of the things to come. The only blind spot that I'm really seeing, obviously, is like you've introduced these characters of Cecilia and Carlos. Where do they plug in? Because we don't see, as far as I'm aware, their involvement in any other of these future franchises. So at this point, we're spiraling off. Haha, Spiraling (laughs) off into like this different direction that I'm wondering if they're going to
0: keep going with because I mean, Tobin Bell's getting up there. I'm scared for him. I know. So that means Carlos lived. Cecilia lived. We are not sure about Henry because we don't see his trap all the way through. It doesn't look very good, though. No, I'm pretty sure he died because there was gas in there. Okay. And then who was the guy in the beginning that lived? Remember the guy who sawed the bombs out of his arm? Oh, Diego. You're right. Diego. Yeah. Yeah, well,
1: and we do see in a key flashback, too, that the reason that John Kramer knew that Parker was involved was because after Diego lived and survived his trap, he was interrogating him for information, Mm -hmm. and he said, Parker's in on it. Yeah. And that's how Kramer fucking big-brained the situation and knew that when Parker showed up that he was never there for the reason he said he was. Mm -hmm. So that was really good. But yeah, you're right. Diego survived.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, we got some survivors here. A lot of honorable mentions. A lot of people got really close in this movie. It was really frustrating, but so good. And tell them about your merch, Shay. Okay, yes. So
1: (laughs) I've been seeing on TikTok that there was exclusive Saw X merch being sold at movie theaters. And one of which is this collapsible Billy doll that sits on top of a like drink container, a very large drink container. And all I really wanted was the mini Billy, where it's like- (laughs) You know, it's like one of those little marionette dolls where you push down and he collapses. But then when you release tension, he stands himself back up. And I was like, I want it. So I was buying my popcorn as I do. And I was so swiftly swindled. (laughs) into buying the saw package. And the saw package was this very large tin, like the largest popcorn that you could order, but it's a tin. It's not a paper box of popcorn. It was like a large metal tin with Billy's face on it, as well as the accompanying (laughs) drink cup with the little marionette doll in there. And I was about to say no because we didn't need that much (laughs) popcorn, but Elise turns to me and was like, Shay, that would be such a good trash can. (laughs)
0: And...
1: So swiftly, I was like, yes, let me spend $35 right now. <laughs> oh, it would be
0: for your office. So now we have
1: three quarters of a popcorn <laughs> bin left that has just been sitting on Elise's counter. And once that has been consumed, I will have a really good office trash can. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins today. Everybody wins. And I now have this hard plastic cup with the little Billy doll, which was all I wanted. But I'm not sorry for buying any of it.
0: It was a special day. And this movie was so good. I think it's worth it. Oh, it is. All right, y'all, we did it. I have a feeling with this podcast, Saul will be back. If you want to keep in touch with whenever that is and or whatever we have planned for the remainder of spooky season and beyond, please follow us on Instagram at the Podcast, and or feel free to get in touch with us at thehorrorspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we're the horrors. Bye.
1: Bye.